0: If you would join me in Luke chapter 1 uh, verse 67 if you don't have a Bible uh, we have uh, Bibles on the pew rack in front of you uh, and if uh, you don't know your way around the Bible awesome you're in the right place this morning we'll have it on the screen okay uh, so it's a win-win situation for all of us uh, but in Luke chapter 1 verse 67 uh, we get to what's called uh, the Benedictus the song of Zechariah and if you would please stand in honor of God's Word Speaking of John the Baptist, it says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to the people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel." Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word, for the opportunity to gather around it today, to understand it. And Father, I pray that it would enlighten each and every one of us, no matter where we are on our journey this morning. Father, each and every one of us need to hear a word from you. We need to hear from heaven. And so, Father, I pray that as we devote ourselves to the Holy Scriptures, that we would get just that, and we would leave encouraged today. We're thankful for your love and your kindness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God sees you. Amen? I feel like we need to hear that all over again. He is the God who is there. He's the God who sees you no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what circumstances you're going through, God sees you. When God sent his son into the world and he wanted to help us understand what that meant, he said, you will give him a name and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Elizabeth got ready to uh, interpret and to comprehend all that uh, God had done in a miraculous way in her life, she said, in these days, God has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from the people. Literally, she said, God has looked upon me. God has looked upon me. God sees me. When Mary got ready to digest and understand and interpret all that uh, the announcement of Christ would mean In the middle of all of that, she said, the mighty one has done great things for me. The initial announcement to her, what stood out to her more than anything else, you have a blazing, fiery, frightening angel in front of you. She wasn't distracted by that. What what captured her mind was this greeting. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. For some of us, it's just too good to be true. It's like we don't even, it's hard for us to believe it. You have a godly man in Zechariah. You have a godly woman in Elizabeth. You have a godly woman in Mary. And for all of them, saturated in the scriptures, living in faithfulness to the Lord, and an angel of the Lord comes to them, makes these announcements, and they say, man, that's hard even for them to accept. It's hard for Zechariah to accept. It left Mary confused and perplexed. And maybe there's plenty here this morning that as you just come here, you stumble into church, you're limping in here, you're going through financial difficulty, you're going through uh, relational difficulties, you're going through all kinds of different things in your life. And I want you to know that God sees you. He's the God who is there. From the moment you wake up to the moment you lay your head down, you have a God in heaven who sees you and who loves you and who cares for you. Finally, we come to a place, yes, thank you, amen. Finally, we come to a place in Luke where John is born. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 57, when it's time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. So she is surrounded by people who are rejoicing with her, they see what has happened and they interpret it through the same lens that the Lord had shown her great mercy, not just humanity, but her in particular that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. She is surrounded by great Family. Now, some of us, uh, there's some uh, difficult circumstances perhaps in our family and whatnot. Maybe there's some situations where people would not share in your joy, but that's not her situation. She's surrounded by people who care for her and share in her joy. And as is the custom, it says on the eighth day, verse 59, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. So very common on that eighth day, they would circumcise, they would uh, announce the name of the child, and it would have been understood, it would have been natural, it would have been expected to name the child after Zechariah. So her family who loved her had great plans for her son and what she was going to name her son, right? So uh, a little involved, uh, this family is, uh, that they would uh, take it upon themselves to say, hey, we're going to get to have a process, uh, a part in naming the son, and he's going to be called Zechariah. Verse 60, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. My son is to be called John. Well, the family didn't like that, verse 61. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Now, how would you like to throw out the name that you have come up with for your child and your family's like, yeah, we're not on board with that. (laughs) We've got a better name. We've got a better plan for you. And that's what they did. And not only did they do that, they went to Zechariah. Okay, they went to Zechariah. Okay, she she must be uh, misunderstanding. She's uh, not thinking clearly. Let's go to Zechariah. So it says, verse 62, then they made signs to his father. Remember, Zechariah at this point can't talk, can't speak. They made signs to him to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, so I just handed him the iPad closest to him at that point. (laughs) And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. His name is John. Imagine that, they're on the same page. 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him. So how does everybody else interpret it? As they look at this all through the countryside, they say, what is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. In all of this, God is demonstrating he is near He is close. He is involved in the process. And Zechariah, for his part, the moment he can speak, after months and months of being silent, the moment he can speak, he gives praise to God. We have a front row seat for Zechariah's spiritual renewal. He had doubted and been skeptical of what the angel told him. How can I be sure of this? And I just thought, well, I don't know, Zechariah, if a big flaming angel from heaven came down with a word for me, I would think I would, that's a pretty good sign in and of itself, right? That's a pretty good sign. But this godly man was a bit skeptical, says, hey, I'm old. My wife is advanced in years. I just don't see how this is possible. How can I be sure of this? And so he's mute for months and months. This is the first time he's able to speak after he affirmed what the angel told him. His name is John. And he has this moment of spiritual renewal where we get to peek in and see this beautiful song, this beautiful prophecy that he has for us. So today I just want to learn from him and talk about four actions to take before Christmas to revive your spiritual life. Now put before Christmas in there because I know uh, I'm, I'm not a procrastinator, but I know there's some in here. Okay, right? Um, and people say, uh, and those are the people that actually know me, okay? And uh, so sometimes we procrastinate, and especially when it comes to spiritual life, sometimes we're like, you know what, I'm going to get to that later. I'm going to get to that tomorrow. What if you said, okay, you know what, what's the most important thing in my life? What is the most important thing in your life? What matters most in your life? Is it your relationship with the Lord? Is it your relationship with Christ? Okay, if so, that needs to be top priority. And so let's talk about four actions to take. These are actions. These are really habits. It's not like you do it once and you can just move on. These are habits to put in place in your life that brings revival and renewal to your life. Action number one, reflect on God's faithful presence. Okay, we're going to learn from Zechariah here. Notice it says verse 67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that idea of filling uh, carries the idea of being guided, being influenced by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God. Verse 68, praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Now, we've heard from Elizabeth, her interpretation of everything that has happened. We've heard from Mary, her interpretation of everything that has happened. Now we hear Zechariah's perspective on all of this. And what does Zechariah open with? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. What has he done? Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. His mindset is God has come to us. Here we are for hundreds of years. And we're like, God, where are you? We're, We're under foreign rule. We have all of this oppression and all of these tyrants ruling over us. And God, where are you? God, intervene. God, how long will this go on? And Zechariah says he has come to his people and redeem them. He's reflecting on God's faithful presence. He's speaking, of course, at this time while Rome is the world's superpower, and yet he speaks as if, as if redemption has already happened. He's moved from being a skeptic when the angel confronted him and encountered him to being one who's fully confident in God, even though they are under oppression at that very moment. And really everything in this prophecy, everything in this song flows from this opening line that God has come to his people and redeemed them. Notice what it says after that. God has come to his people and redeemed them and then he begins to explain what that looks like. He begins to put high definition on that. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as He said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant and on and on and on. He's putting high definition on what it means that God has come to his people and God has redeemed because God has been a faithful presence among his people. Now, here's the thing I want you to recognize and for all of us to wrestle with. All of these attributes of God that he's listing out, all these things that God has done, he's listing all of this, uh, and what sparked all of it, of course, was the announcement uh, that he would have a son named John the Baptist. Well, it didn't say John the Baptist. He's going to be named John, okay? And then he's going to be a mighty servant of the Lord. He's going to be a voice in the wilderness and all of this. So God gives that announcement through the angel, and now, sure enough, his wife becomes pregnant, and now she's given birth These events spark him to say these things about God. But here's something I want you to realize. All of that was true of God before any of that ever happened. Before they ever had a son, before John the Baptist ever came into the world, it was true of God that he's good, That he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is raising up a plan of salvation for his people. All of that is true of God. There are things in your life that happen that bring to your attention the goodness of God. That bring to your attention the grace of God. But it doesn't mean that God wasn't gracious long before that. That's who God is. God is good. God is love. God is life. Light and love, that's who God is. In glory, the angels are standing around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. We're going to reflect on that a little bit later. But all of those things are true. And maybe you have an event coming up in your life that's going to draw that to your attention. Maybe you have an event coming up in your life where something's going to happen and you. Oh, yes, God is good. God is good. But maybe today you don't feel it. Maybe today you don't see it. Can I just promise you something? We walk by, not by sight, but by faith in this life. God is good. There will be points in your life where he makes that clear to you, but whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, that is a present reality because that's who God is right now. We need to reflect on God's faithfulness presence. He's always working. He's always moving among us. I want to give you a verse that has been so helpful for me, so helpful for me on days when I don't see it, and that's 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where Paul said, for now in the present, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully Even as I am fully known. Now we see dimly. In other words, on your best day, on your best day when you feel like you can just see, 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 it's dim. One day we're gonna get to heaven, it's gonna be like, oh wow, this is what it looks like. This is who God is. This is His love, this is His light. And one day it's going to become so obvious. I was talking to someone just for the service. They gave me a sermon illustration as I'm walking in because they had cataract surgery. I was asking about it he was like, it's amazing how much light there is. Right? It's like you have surgery and suddenly, whoa, look, there's a lot of light out there. I can see a lot of stuff. And we don't realize how foggy this world is. We just don't realize it. We don't realize how dim, how darkened this world is. But that's what Isaiah, when he stood before God, that's what he recognized. He saw the glory of God. Whew, okay. Um, Preach Preach it, amen. Let's go to number two. Action number two, habit number two, confess your need for God to rescue you. So you're reflecting on God's faithful presence. And by the way, just some practical exercises with that. It's not an abstract idea. You might journal it. You might pray it, which is what I tend to do, uh, where rather than when you uh, get into your prayer life, you just start listening, well, you know, God, I've got a hip problem, I've got this family problem, I've got this financial problem, and treating God like he's a genie where you're rubbing the lamp and you're expecting him to come out and fix all your problems. Maybe it would be good and healthy and right for you to just take some time to give thanksgiving to offer gratitude to God, to reflect on his faithful presence in your life. Maybe it's good uh, together with friends. And you know how sometimes uh, people get together and they'll talk about how awesome uh, a show was or a music was or a game. They'll just start talking, yeah, and what about this and what about that? What if we did that with God? And we just gather together and we just begin to marvel at how good God is. I think that has a profound impact on your spiritual life, which is why we encourage you to gather with others in this community of faith. Number two, confess your need for God's rescue. A major theme. As you begin to just go through here and pick out all the things that he's saying, a major theme in this is salvation and rescue. Notice what he says in verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation, horn being a symbol of power and strength, a horn of salvation, someone who's strong and mighty to deliver us. A little bit later on, verse 71, salvation from our enemies. A little bit later on, verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. So what is on Zechariah's mind? He's, he's focused, okay, God has done all of this. Now, what's the outcome going to be? What, what's the consequence of all this going to be? The consequence of all this is going to be God rescuing us, God delivering us. He's thinking back to the days of the Exodus where they were in Egyptian bondage and they were helpless. There was nothing they could do. And God raised up a Moses. He raised up leaders who led them out on an Exodus to the promised land. All of that's in the back of his mind. Now, when we see salvation... When we think about rescue and salvation, we immediately think, okay, that means that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's the first thing that comes to our mind. And that's fine. That's good. And that's certainly taught in the Bible. But in the context of this passage, that's not what's on his mind. What's on his mind is I'm under Roman rule, under foreign rule, and I have been my entire life. And I have all, we have all of these enemies who have been oppressing us, and there's nothing we can do. We've been just praying to God for him to deliver us for him to set us free, and now God has taken action. And he's raised up a horn of salvation, someone who's strong enough to lead us out and set us free. He's going to rescue us from our enemies and deliver us in his mercy. But this goes far beyond what Zechariah was thinking about at this point. Turn turn over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, where it draws the threads together for all of us of what God is saving us from. Because the truth is, God was doing far more than just taking care of the pesky Romans. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, 1, it says, As for you, and when it says you, uh, someone accused me a few weeks ago when I was reading my Bible of adding in a y'all, while I was reading it just without even thinking, and that's probably right, okay? That's the Jared version from deep Texas. Uh, And so when you see, as for you, that's plural. It means y'all, okay? As for y'all, all of you, those who are now in Christ, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, as we were by nature deserving of wrath. What he's saying there is each and every one of us, before we come to Christ, are enslaved to sin, death, and the devil. Every single one of us. Death is our destiny. The devil rules over us, and we are enslaved to our own passions and sins. And we are just like uh, Israel in Egypt. We are helpless in and of ourselves to deliver ourselves, to free us, to liberate ourselves from bondage. And that's why in the grace and mercy of God, he sent forth his son, verse 4 But because of his great love for us. Why did God come after us? Well, because we look so great, right? No, you're in sin. You're in bondage to sin, death, and the devil. But in his great love for us. Just let that rest on you. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has set us free in his beloved son, Jesus Christ. You have to recognize, you have to come to a point in your life where you recognize your need for a savior, that you have need of rescue, you have need of salvation. That's true of you, that's true of me, and were it not by the grace of God, where would I be this morning? I don't know. I don't know. Action number three. Action number three, recommit or commit to living God's way. You know, Zechariah doesn't just stop at what God saved us from. He moves on to what God saved us to. Because it says in verse 74, Luke one seventy-four, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us. Why? To enable us. To serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So, God is rescuing us from sin, death, and the devil, but God is rescuing us to a life of holiness and righteousness, a life of peace. Coming out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light means that you become light. You are the light of the world, you are to be salt and light. And by the way, when we read that in the Sermon on the Mount, we went through a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's very interesting. That wasn't a command that Jesus was giving, that you were to go out and you are to be salt and light. He's stating a fact that insofar as you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are salt and light. You can't follow Jesus and not be light. You're going to be light if you're following the light of the world. He will reflect off of you. In heaven, as we said, people around the throne are yelling. Maybe they are yelling, but they're singing, they're proclaiming, God is holy, holy, holy. That's who God is, and that's who God calls us to be. And God sees, as we've said, God sees each and every one of us. You know what still strikes me is Zechariah, as he entered into the temple, the angel said, God has heard your prayer. He doesn't at first describe what that prayer is. He's about to describe the answer to that prayer. But he says, God has heard your prayer. And some of you this morning, you've got that prayer in your life that you've been praying for years and years and years, okay? You know what it is. If I were to say, well, what's your prayer? And, and you would have something that's really deep in your mind, in your heart. You've been praying for years and years and years. Zechariah had that prayer, and it was that he would have a child. And the angel said, God has heard your prayer, and God is answering your prayer. What is that prayer for you? I just want you to know God knows what it is. He hears you even on days where you don't know that he hears you. But he calls each and every one of us to seek a life of righteousness and holiness, even in this darkened world. This brings us to number four. And finally, action number four, habit number four, embrace your God-given Purpose. Embrace your God-given purpose. Now look down. You're about halfway through all of this, and he's been reflecting on all that God has done. What does it mean that God has drawn near to us? What does it mean that God has redeemed us? He states it as if it's already happened, as if God has already done it, uh, because he has full confidence in God. But now notice that second half of the prayer. He begins to reflect on his child, on his son, because God has a great plan for his life. Verse 76. And you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death and guide our feet in the path of peace. And this was a child's destiny. God had a specific purpose for his life. What did that destiny look like fleshed out? Turn over with me to John chapter 1 real real quickly. John chapter 1. This is a different John writing the gospel, but he begins to reflect on John the Baptist. And it says in John chapter 1 verse 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, can you say that of yourself? There was a man, there was a woman sent from God, and their name was your name. Because I believe that each and every one of us has a God-given purpose. That God has a plan to use you for His glory, for His kingdom. The way it fleshes out in John's world is not going to be exactly the way it's going to flesh out in your world or my world. But each and every one of us, we have a job to do, and we're to embrace that role. Notice what he says, verse 7. He came to witness, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself is not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Whatever light he has is derived from the true light of the world. But what is his job? To bear witness, to testify to who Christ is. That's his job. If you just put it in a nutshell, that's what he's supposed to be about. That's what he's supposed to be doing. If you just put it in a nutshell, that's what you're supposed to be about. That's what I'm supposed to be about. That's what our life is about, reflecting the glory of God in this world, proclaiming the good news of Christ to those who don't know him. We'll wrap up with this, okay? We'll wrap up with this. Skip down John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God sees you. Now, what's John saying? What's John the Baptist saying? He's saying, look, see. He wants us to see the Lamb. Verse 30, this is the one I meant when I said a man comes after me and has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. Here to tell you this morning, there is a chosen one from God. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and he died on the cross for our sins. God raised him from the dead. And any person in this room who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life and be saved. Where are you this morning? What is your spiritual status before God? Do you need to be saved? Do you need a a recommitment? Do you need spiritual renewal? What is it? What action are you going to take today to set that right? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. I pray, Lord, as we come to this time of response, there's this, if there's someone here who does not know Christ, does not have a relationship with him, that they would make that right today, that they would reach out and take your hand and trust in you forever. We're thankful for your love and your kindness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we come to a final closing song, and I just want to say to you, we have an altar this morning. that's open for anybody. Anybody can come down, just kneel at the altar for prayer. Anybody can come down and talk to me. We've got some other ministers down here who would be glad to talk with you. If you want to talk through about following Christ, becoming a follower of Christ, if you want to talk through uh, being baptized or joining the church, or you just need to come kneel at the altar and say, God, I'm going to start putting some of that stuff into practice today because I need spiritual renewal. Whatever it is, I pray right now you'd respond as the Spirit leads.